0: You're listening to TIP.
1: On today's show, we're going to be talking about one of the most famous billionaires on the planet, Mr. Richard Branson. Richard is the founder of the Virgin Group, and his holding company has more than 400 companies worldwide. Branson got his start as an entrepreneur at the age of 16 when he started his own magazine, and he self built his $5 billion empire from there. On today's show, we're going to cover some of Branson's interesting exchanges that define his personality that made him the business mogul he is today. So without further delay, here's our show covering billionaire Richard Branson.
0: You are listening to The Investor's Podcast, where we study the financial markets and read the books that influence self-made billionaires the most. We keep you informed and prepared for the unexpected.
1: All right. Welcome to the investors podcast. I'm your host, Preston Pish. And as always, I'm accompanied by my co host, Stig Broderson. Like we said in the introduction, we're super excited to be talking about Richard Branson today. The first question that we're going to be talking about you started off an airline company with one aircraft. You purchased a 747 and then you grew it from there into Virgin Airlines. The question was, how do you start out? How do you go from zero to one? Because so many people were paralyzed with that very first step. This is Richard's response to that question.
2: First of all, I was sure that the airline business stank. That the quality was ghastly and it wasn't fun. Yeah, pretty miserable experience to travel from A to B on British Airways or any of the other airlines. So I thought if we could throw into the mix a plane that was great fun, which was beautifully designed that had staff that really loved what they were doing, where the food was great, the seating was nice, where there was stand-up bars, the entertainment was great, that we'd have a chance. We couldn't be sure. First of all, I did a deal with Boeing so I could hand the plane back to Boeing at the end of the 12 months if I was wrong about this. And that was protecting the downside. So at least I knew the worst that could happen was about 50% of the profits of Virgin Records for the year if it all went wrong. And then we threw this... One plane in against Pan Am with 300 planes, TWA with 300 planes, British Airways with 300 planes, Air Florida with a couple of hundred planes, People Express with a couple of hundred planes, British Caledonian with a 100 planes. And people loved it. I used myself to make sure we got on the front pages of the newspapers, not on the back pages. Come the end of the first year, we rang up Boeing and asked for a couple more 747s for Florida and for a couple more routes. And slowly but surely, we grew. And as we were growing, British Airways decided they didn't like this at all, even although we were sort of four or five planes. And they launched what famously became known as the Dirty Tricks campaign. We took them to court. We won the biggest libel damages in history. We distributed it at Christmas time, and they became known as the British Airways Christmas bonus. And all our staff were smiling and happy. And British Airways backed off somewhat. And... As we were growing, every one of our other competitors went bankrupt. TWA went bankrupt. Pan Am. Anyway, the whole lot, Air Florida, the lot disappeared. And the only reason I think British Airways survived was they had a monopoly of the slots at the main airport. So it is possible for a much smaller company to be the David taking on the big Goliaths. And as long as you've got quality and panache and fun and style, you can actually beat them, or at least you can beat most of them. And that's what Virgin Atlantic
3: did. I really like this response, not so much because Branson actually responded to the question. In many ways, I think that Richard Branson almost doesn't acknowledge that you can be paralyzed. (laughs) And I mean that the best possible way. I don't see him being paralyzed. He's very much just like, screw it and just do it. And he makes it work. I would like to provide some context to this. I'll have uh, two short stories here about him that can really tell you about how resourceful he is. One of them is that he bought an island pretty early on, an island that he couldn't afford. Whenever he asked the owner why it was so expensive, he was told it was because the power supply was so expensive for him to buy and he simply couldn't supply it. Branson's way of thinking was simply, okay, I'll just build a power plant then. He went out to the Caribbean and he built a power plant so he could get his island for a lot cheaper. I don't know the price was for the plan. But I'm telling that story just to tell you that he's just very, very resourceful in the way that he thinks about solving problems. He's thinking, what is the end goal? And then he solves the puzzle in terms of getting out there. Like, I want to start a career. Okay. How do I go there?
1: For me, somebody who's listening to this that doesn't have a lot of startup capital like Richard Branson has in both of those scenarios we were talking about, I think they can kind of roll their eyes at some of these comments. But where I think that you can learn a lot from Richard Branson is more on going back to Stig's Island comment. His idea from the beginning was, I want my own private island, but maybe because it's so expensive, maybe I can bring guests into the island and vacation there whenever I'm not there and looks for these win-win situations. Going back to the Boeing example that we were talking about. Here's a guy, he wants to get into this business, but is scared for obvious reasons. I mean, he listed all the competitors. Well, he works a deal with Boeing, even though he had resources to do the deal himself and to assume all that risk. The only reason I think that he stepped into the airline business is because he had that deal lined up with Boeing where he could return the aircraft if it didn't work out. That's where a guy actually even has the resources, but he's still acting like the power of broke, like the Damon John book we read, still operating in this mindset where how can I do things on on the terms that I want to do them, but do it in a very cost-effective way that minimizes my downside. And you heard a little bit of that in the conversation.
3: The first Colin Preston, that was about the thing you said about the island. It almost sounds like the first Airbnb, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of what he did, right?
3: Yeah, it was. like He was, wasn't living there for you know, how much of the year, so you could just rent it. And I think we even looked into that a few years ago, Preston. Yes, we did. Um, yeah. We didn't rent it though, but it was, it was interesting <laughs> to, to check out. You also have a good point about whenever you say, you know, I'm not going to buy my own island, or I'm not going to set up my own airline. Sure. So let's take another example from what happened whenever he was 15 years old and had no money. And I think we can all resonate with that example. Back then you didn't have uh, cell phones. Well, it wasn't invented and he had this school magazine and he needed to attract advertisers. He actually has so little money that he couldn't afford the change using that phone box at his school. So what he did was he called collect and said, Oh, I don't have any change on me, but I have really important meaning with. Mr. Somethingson, could you please set me through? And that is what happened. So he did that multiple times. And one of the examples that he brings up himself is whenever he called both Coke and Pepsi, and he called Coke and said, Pepsi just bought ads in our magazines. Would you like to buy ads too? And he did the same thing with Pepsi. And 15 years old, he raised 4,500 pounds. And that was how he got started. Now, I'm not saying it's super ethical. I'm not saying that that is what you should do. It's just like, hey, I'm going to set up this magazine, and then I'm going to figure out how to do it. I don't have any money, so I'm going to figure out how to do it. I don't even have money for a simple phone call. I'm going to figure out how to do it. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer,
0: making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Hey guys, do you ever wonder how investors like Peter Thiel have Roth IRAs worth billions? Many do more than just save a portion of their income, invest it in the stock market, and cross their fingers and hope it grows enough to retire on. The secret is they use something called a self-directed IRA, which has all the tax advantages we love, but with a twist. Instead of being stuck with stocks, bonds, and cookie-cutter options, A self-directed IRA with New Direction Trust Company allows you to invest your retirement savings in what you know and what you're passionate about. From real estate to startups to gold and silver, there are nearly unlimited investment options. You could even finance and set the terms of a loan. You name it, NDTCO will help you fund it. We're not saying you'll be the next Peter Thiel, but we're not not saying that either. Because his secrets are now your secrets. Check out New Direction Trust Company and self-directed IRAs today at ndtco.com and unlock the potential of your retirement savings. That's ndtco.com. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting, from finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. All right, back to the show.
1: Well, that's the difference is most people would say, well, I want to start a magazine. I don't have any money. Okay, well, I guess I can't do that. They're done. Where Richard Branson's like, oh, that doesn't matter. I can figure out a way to get around that somehow. And then he just Uh figures it out. The key point for me is when you think that it can't be done, the thing that's really limiting you is your thinking and not necessarily your resources or your creativity or whatever. You've got to somehow just keep pressing on to get there. So for the next question he was asked, you say something really interesting in your book. You say, if your life is one long success story, you're most likely a liar. I'm sure that you've had no shortage of failures in your own life, but the person starts listing all of the things that he's accomplished, like virgin cola, clothing, cosmetics. For the audience and the people that are listening to his response, they're often terrified by failure and aren't willing to take that first step because they're just so scared of failing. So we're curious to hear your thoughts on that idea. And this is his response.
2: I could have added it also makes for a much better book if you've got a little bit of uh, ups and downs because there's nothing worse than reading somebody's autobiography where all they include is all these lovely successes that go from one set to another. As I said earlier, I love to say yes. I love to try things. You know, sometimes fall flat on my face, sometimes succeed. I think because we generally start things from scratch, we haven't had any sort of massive dramatic failures that have really damaged the foundations of Virgin. Generally speaking, if we start a a bank or a financial service company, we'll just literally start in a very small way and then build it up from there. If we start an airline, we start with one plane and we build it up from there. Because we've created companies that are much better than our rivals, generally the public identify with them and generally more often than not it's successful. Where we've come unstuck is where we've taken on a big Goliath. (laughs) Coca-Cola and your product just can't be fundamentally better. I mean, it can be, you know, some people may say it tastes better, but for a year when we took on Coca-Cola, I thought we're going to be the biggest brand in the world. We're out selling Coke, we're out selling Pepsi in every store in Britain. I got a Sherman tank and I drove into Times Square in New York and turned the turret on the Coca-Cola sign which we'd um, had Paratech <laughs> wired up the night before. It looked like we blew up the sign. Anyway, Coca-Cola weren't amused, understandably. And um, <laughs> uh, and what happened, and I only found this out because about two years after, a new bank manager at um, Lloyd's Bank in England invited me out for dinner, and she happened to be the woman who was behind this back at Coke two years earlier. She um, went in to see the chairman of Coke or the president of Coke and said, um, you know, this little virgin brand, we got to take them seriously. They're outselling us in Britain and like a bushfire, it could catch on. It could take us around the world. So he initially didn't take us seriously. Then a month later, he looked at the new set of figures. He then called her in and said, right, um, there's a DC 10 on the runway at Atlanta airport. It's full of cash. It's full of squat teams. You're going to lead the charge. You're going to England and I want you to snuff them out. Virgin Cola just disappeared from the shelves of Tesco's everywhere. It just suddenly disappeared. And we had no idea why people were taking it off. We would ring retailers and protest, and they wouldn't let us know. And it wasn't until two years later that we found out what had happened. Anyway, we were kneecapped. <laughs> and the problem was that with British Airways, when we had similar thing, our product was better, so we survived. But with a can of cola, we lost that battle.
1: The reason Stig and I played this is because we found that to be an interesting comment that he made about this competitive nature. And I think it just shows you how insanely competitive business can get, especially at even like macro levels with Coca-Cola, going over to the UK with a wad of money to convince retailers not to carry a product. That's just crazy, incredible story. And we thought it was a story that was worth sharing and interesting. So Stig, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts.
3: That is one fearless gentleman taking on Coca-Cola itself. I also like he's completely upfront about him failing, falling flat on his face on that one. What I really took away from this and what I would like to communicate to the audience, especially if you have followed Richard Branson before and you might be intimidated in some way, you're feeling like how can he do all that? How has he no fear of failure? It seems that is what he has. I would love to talk about personality types and also if you can do something about it and how to look at this. So I'm personally a huge fan of learning more about who you are and your strength, but also your shortcomings. Specifically about one test, and we'll link to it in the show, it's completely free and everyone can take it. You can be so-called assertive or you can be, be turbulent. And if you are assertive, it means that you are typically self-assured, even tempered and resistant to stress. Uh, so that would be someone like Richard Branson. Meaning you don't have to spend too much time thinking about past actions or choices and not what other people think of you. I wanted to address that because a lot of that is formed in your early years and it's not always something you can change whenever you grow up. It's not something you can just be like, Oh, you know, Richard Branson doesn't care. Like he just starts in an L. And I, I want to do the same. I don't want to discourage anyone when I talk about this. And whenever I say that a lot of this is fixed, this is purely empirical. It's sort of like this. If you're short, you can probably still be a good basketball player, but you just do not have the same advantages as someone who is 6'6 has. It's important whenever you're talking about that way of life, that way of taking chances, to learn more about yourself in terms of how do you react to failures? How do you react to the experiences life's uh, thrown at you? The reason why I also wanted to play this question was really to address that and to encourage people to do something that is fit for them and where they have their own strengths. This is not only uh, something that I'm saying. I think as most people know, both Preston and I, we're heavily influenced by Ridaglio and his book, Principles. And this is one of the key takeaways I took from that book is he's testing himself and he's testing everyone on the team. I think they even have like baseball cards. It breads water in terms of pinpointing what is people good at and what they're not good at, and what should that person do. I want to throw that out there. The website is called 16personalities.com, which has been immensely helpful uh, both for me and for everyone on TIP. And it's heavily influenced by Red And I just wanted to bring that up here. Now we're talking about Richard Branson, in his own way, extreme personality, and why that's such a strength in terms of, of what he's doing.
1: Hey, There's something else that I want to address in there. He was talking about how they always start a business from the ground up. It reminded me of a pretty famous book that we read a while back, and maybe we can have the link to it in the show notes. And it's called The Innovator's Dilemma. It's a book written by Clayton Christensen. I think he's out of Harvard, right? Harvard professor. The main premise of the book is that when a company wants to start a new product or service that is really kind of outside of their lane, oftentimes the best way to go about it is to literally separate it from the business itself, give the manager who's ever identified to start this business full reins to start it from the ground up and almost as if they're completely detached from the main company that's starting it itself. And I kind of get the sense, especially after this way that Richard Branson answered this question, that that's how he operates is exactly what this book was recommending. Now, I definitely didn't do any service to the complexity of everything that Clayton Christensen lays out in this book, but that's a general premise and it seems like Richard Branson has been naturally doing this since the very beginning. So, just something else that I noticed in that comment. So, for the next question, he was asked, "You have more than 200 different businesses." How does this work? Are people coming to you with the ideas or are you saying, hey guys, let's get in the business X, Y, and Z? This is how Richard responded to this
2: have literally come from frustration. And I think that's the best way for any business to start. Keep your eyes open. You have a notebook in your back pocket. You get frustrated. I mean, you know, the reason we've gone to the hotel business, I've had a few too many drinks. I get to the hotel room. I can't turn the bloody music off. I can't turn the lights off. There's a list of about 300 things that you go through. And big hotels never get these things right. You're not quite sure how to turn the television on. The Wi-Fi, you just go through hell trying to get the bloody Wi-Fi on. And so it goes on. So, out of frustration, we'll create the kind of hotel that I want to go to, the sort of perhaps better known, and I suspect quite a few people know this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, it's fun. I'd been away from home, I was 28 years old, and I was trying to get back to the Virgin Islands. I hadn't seen my lovely lady for three weeks, and American Airlines tell me that they're going to um, bump us all because they don't have enough passengers, and the... 50 passengers that were there were obviously all distraught. They wanted to get to see their loved ones that night. I went to the back of the airport. I hired a plane, borrowed a blackboard and wrote, Virgin Airlines, as a joke, $39 one way to the BBI. And I filled up my first plane. And as we got into the BBI, the person on my left just tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Um, sharpen up the servers a bit and you can be in the airline business. So it got me thinking, airlines do bump you. They were awful, absolutely dreadful in those days. And uh, so the next day I rang up Boeing and I said, this is Richard Branson. I have a record company. I've got the Rolling Stones. I've got the Sex Pistols. I've got Bill Collins, Janet Jackson. Anyway, I'd like to buy a secondhand 747, please. And uh, <laughs> and, um, and there was a long pause. And um, there was a, this lovely old man called R.J. Wilson on the other end of the phone. And he said, normally, Richard, I'd find an excuse to put the phone down on you. But you, you sound very enthusiastic. I will send somebody to come and see you. But he said, I just want to make one recommendation. If you really seriously are going to go into the airline business, for God's sake, do not use the name Virgin. He said, people will assume your airline is not going to go the whole way. And, and so you just change that.
3: Let's take a
0: quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer And with available features like panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Hey guys, it's Clay Fink here, host of We Study Billionaires. Want to hear one of my favorite sounds? Here it is. That's the sound I hear when I'm learning a new language with Babbel. And if you want to learn a new language this year, I guarantee it'll be one of your favorite sounds too. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that actually works. Their quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. I love Babbel because it makes it so easy for me to speak Spanish while ordering food, asking for directions, or just having basic conversations without needing the help of my phone. It's no wonder that Babbel has sold over 16 million subscriptions and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash WSB. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash W-S-B. Rules and restrictions may apply. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB.
3: All right, back to the show.
1: Well, it's definitely a funny exchange. (laughs) He's got me smiling (laughs) for sure. His incentive for the 200 businesses that he has created is based on frustration, which I think is pretty neat because it shows you a key insight into where maybe you can start a business. I know there's people out there that all have frustrations with the way that they deal with things. I think the key to Richard Branson's success is not only is he able to identify those frustrations, but then he's he is able to design products and services that are better than what's out there. And he won't take it to market unless it is better than what's out there. That's just vital. You just can't create something that's as good. I think back to our interview with Ian Siegel from ZipRecruiter. Ian said, if you can take one step out of the process, you've got a winner. But if you're doing the same number of steps or you're adding steps to whatever the process is that people currently have to do, that is a non-value-added activity and people are not going to do it. But if you can make it simpler and you can make it better, that's a business. I liked his response there. It was good.
3: I would like to address the concept here of having 200 different businesses and talking about competitive advantage because what Richard Branson is talking about here is that because he had a record company, that doesn't mean that he should be in the music business. That is not necessarily his forte. His forte is probably something else. And I think what he did was to ask himself, what is it that I can do that no other people can do, or at least what am I best at? He wasn't an expert in the music. He wasn't an expert in airlines. He really just worked on that frustration. If you really think about what is Richard Branson really good at, it's to teaming up with the right people. I think that's pretty evident after have followed him for a few years. People that he can inspire and who like him have no shame in life, and I'm saying that the best possible way I can, are courageous enough to disrupt the industry. I think if you look at other billionaires, come up with a billionaire like Warren Buffett, and what is his competitive advantage? Is that necessarily if you look at his early investments and very profitable investments in Geico and American Express. Is that because he's the best credit card guy or the best insurance guy? No, he's the best capital allocator. And the thing is so important whenever you try to define your own skill set, not to think in terms of an industry, but think, what is my competitive advantage? And then there might be one industry, but most likely it's several industries because that is exactly this one thing you can use, whether it's capital Allocation, teaming out the right people, or whatever it is that you can use in your own niche. We enjoyed
1: talking about some of the Richard Branson stories. Quite fun. At this point in the show, we're going to go ahead and take a question from the audience. This question comes from Mo, and uh, here's his question.
3: Hey, Stephen Preston, my name is Mo from Dubai. I've been listening to your show for the last six months. I've learned a lot from you guys, so keep it up. My question today is about active versus passive investing. For learning purposes, I've set up a small portfolio, definitely not big enough to be diversified. But from what I've read, passive investing has outperformed active investing over the long run. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, say, if you were to build a portfolio, uh, how would you differentiate between active and uh, passive investing? Would you have both kinds of investing strategies in your portfolio? Just a general comments and thoughts on that. Thank you, guys. And I hope to make it on the show.
1: Mo, love the question. I can't tell you which one's better, but I can tell you which approach I personally use. I absolutely do both. A lot of the capital that I invest is in a passive way in an ETF, but that ETF is very targeted as to where I kind of see where I'm at in the market and in the specific credit cycle and whether it's international, whether it's in the US. And then at, at the same time as, as using those passive vehicles, ETFs, whenever I invest, I'm also making individual stock picks. I guess mine is kind of a hybrid depending on where I'm at. But in general, I would say that I have a lot more money invested. A much larger portion of my portfolio is in passive than active. So that's me personally. I'm kind of curious how Stig does it.
3: I think I'm primarily active, but it really depends on what you mean by active and passive and how we define it. I mean, if we define it as passive investing being pure dollar cost averaging approach, putting in the same amount every single month and then into the overall stock market, then I guess I'm I'm not. I know that was probably also what you're getting at here uh, before press. whenever you said yeah, ATF. That depends on whether or not we define an ETF as being passive. You can have a lot of different ETFs that are not passive. And, and then you can, of course, also have ETFs that capture the world market or the S&P 500 or however you want to put that. For instance, there are some ETFs out there who are targeting value companies in the S&P 500. So based on different metrics like price to book and price to earnings, if you are taking an active approach into that, you can beat the market one way or the other, then I would say that you're doing Active investing, uh, one way or the other. But again, it depends on how you define it. I don't frequently trade. I might have added three stocks this year to my portfolio. For me, that's almost over trading. And then some people might say, you know, they, they could do that in an hour or, or in five minutes. It's hard what is right for you. You mentioned that on average, passive is doing better and I would say it's a natural conclusion if, if the way that we measure this is by saying, if you just have the stock market, would you then perform better than investors who also have the stock market, but you just pay fees because they trade back and forth? Then yes, the passive investing strategy is probably best. I think it really depends on your own mindset, especially after reading books like Margaret Witch's books by Jack Swagger. I have a newfound respect for traders. I think that pulling up some of those statistics, I know that was not the intention why you were doing it. But just for the sake of argument, having this statistic that says that passive investing would do better, you say, of course, that is the underlying principle of investing, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be an active investor. That doesn't mean that you can't have really successful traders or you can't really have a good track record like Warren Buffett.
1: Stig, I think that what you're getting at goes back to one of your original comments that you were making on the show, which is about personality type. A huge takeaway that I had from reading a lot of the market wizard Jack Swagger stuff was this idea that you can trade and you can invest in so many different ways. And so much of it is what are you kind of wired for? What is your personality wired for? What I really like about Jack Schwager's books is he shows you just a multitude of different ways that people have really traded successfully with an incredible track record. Here's a perfect example. Peter Brandt, just total price action chartist kind of person. His annual returns are in excess of 20 years, and the guy's been in the business for uh, 30 years or something like that. Incredible track record. He is looking at nothing but price and volume whenever he's trading, and he's looking at chart patterns. I just can't do it. In fact, I look at Peter's Twitter page all the time because it's just providing me another level of data because he tells people kind of the direction that he thinks things might go. Because I don't understand that approach. That's not my personality type, but I find it highly interesting. And I find it as another data point as I'm kind of considering things. So, what I would tell you first is going to Stig's point earlier in the show is what is your personality type? Are you somebody who has to be very active, or are you comfortable like Stig making three picks in the last six months or whatever? It really comes down to who you are and what kind of fits with the way that you operate. And then find a person out there. That implements whatever that approach is, read every single thing you can find on that person and every single book that they recommend and go for it. See if it is a fit.
3: I think it's a really good comment you had there, Preston. Going back to the thing about personality types and also reach a brand some hint being assertive. If you take one of those tests and you realize that you are assertive, I mean an active strategy might be good for you. I'm personally very assertive and I'll also just throw Preston under the bus and say that he's too. That is what his his test is saying. <laughs> Extremely
1: and, assertive. <laughs>
3: and and in many ways, that's a good thing if you're an active investor, because basically it means that Preston and I, you know, we can listen to each other and we can hear Warren Buffett or whoever on CNBC. We still have our own picks. Like we don't get swayed. Like if everyone tells us we're idiots and we're picking the wrong stocks. At the end of the day, that's not a big concern to me, and I'm pretty sure it's not a big concern to Preston either. If you've realized that you're turbulent and you know that other people's opinion means a lot, and whenever you're at a dinner party and the guy next to you who you don't know, he's talking about how he's made a gazillion dollars on buying biotech and whatever, and you change your opinion, become nervous, you don't want to do passive investing, you have trouble sleeping now, you feel you're missing out on a ton of different things. No, I mean, stick to a hardcore passive investing strategy, sleep well and forget about the concept of investing. I think it's very important to know your own strength and and shortcomings when it comes to investing. So yeah, I guess that was my key uh, takeaways.
1: All right, Mo. Well, we uh, really enjoyed this question. As a token of our appreciation for going on the website and asking the question, we're going to give you free access to one of our paid courses, our Intrinsic Value course, where Stig and I teach people how to value individual active picks. If people want to check out the course, it's at tipintrinsicvalue.com. Mo, we just can't thank you enough. So if anyone's listening to this, you want to get your question played on our show, go to asktheinvestors.com you go there, there's a little media player. You can quickly record a question. And if it gets played on the show, you can get a free course, paid course from our site. We just really appreciate it when people do that.
3: All right, guys, that was all that Preston and I had for this week's episode of the Investors Podcast. We see each other again next week. Thanks for listening to TIP.